This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is the company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data. It's a platform designed to deliver easy to read interactive data applications and dashboards. Juicebox turns your valuable analyses into a story for everyday decision makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope the kickoff to 2016 is treating you well. I'm excited to continue the Policy Viz podcast this year with a very special guest, Lynn Cherney, data consultant, analyst, data visualization specialist, and currently the visiting Knight Fellow at the University of Miami. Lynn, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm guessing it's warmer down in Miami than it is up here in DC. Um, <laughs> But um, I want to talk about sort of two two main threads today. Um, you've been down at Miami now, starting your second semester there, teaching data visualization to, I would guess, primarily journalists? Yeah, well, the first class was journalists. It looks like the second class this semester is going to be more mixed. It's MFA students and journalists. Mm-hmm. So I want to start by talking about what you're teaching and, and your sort of approach to teaching data visualization, which is always a big question in the field about how do you get people to be good at visualizing data so quickly. And then uh, I want to turn a little bit to talking about some of your previous work on visualizing texts, because I think that's a big challenge for lots of different people. But let's start about teaching data visualization. What's your approach? What are you trying to get people to understand in 14 or 15 weeks? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, so essentially I was brought down to teach interactive data viz, so data viz for the web. Um, we already have Alberto Cairo here, who is well known for his static infographics, and he he recruited me to come down and add an interactive component to the coursework. So I've been teaching primarily D3 because that's the most flexible tool. Um, it's been kind of an uphill battle because not all the students are adept at JavaScript, mm-hmm. but uh, I still think it was fun for all and everybody tells me they learned a lot and their projects certainly show they learned a lot so and so when they come in to your class what do they have sort of in in their toolkit already have they taken statistics do they know how to work with data generally and they're now it's about visualization or you have to build up sort of all of those skills yeah good question that was sort of my biggest question when i started putting the course together they, the journalism students have had Alberto's class, and so they have some sense of data analysis and data storytelling. The students I had from other departments, I had a couple, they don't necessarily have strong stats or data analysis skills. So, yeah, there were a few folks that I, I had to have the, like, why pie charts aren't the best display mm-hmm. for lots of categories conversation, but a lot of them already had a sense of what was a good visualization method. Yeah, but they don't all necessarily have any stats, so right. that's that's a different question. So what's your sort of philosophy to the approach? Do you give them a bunch of data and say, we're going to you know, go make some visualization, or uh, do you say, go find some data, or I'm going to give you a messy data set, you need to clean it up? What's the sort of general philosophy or approach of the course of the semester? Well, I kind of inherited it. Alberto had set up <laughs> Alberto had set up a client for us, which is UNICEF. Okay. 
And so in a way that was good for me because it constrained the data arena and the problem space a lot, but it was also bad in the sense that I, you know, had to come in and pick up this client relationship and figure out how to deliver for them. They gave us quite a lot of freedom, obviously, because we're doing it for free. Um, but we did have to deal with that data and, you know, trying to find complete data from various countries in World Bank, World Health Organization, and the UNICEF data sites. So that was a challenge. Um, there wasn't always good data uh, longitudinally for some countries. So students were occasionally frustrated by not having exactly what they needed for mm -hmm. the story they wanted to tell. Uh, but at least mostly it was online in Excel files, and I gave them a bunch of here, you know, quick tips on how to use Excel to get it into the right CSV format for visualizing. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to merge these different data sets together, and then they're bringing them into, into JavaScript. So what was that like trying to teach journalism students who may not have sort of any, I would presume, much or any coding background? Yeah, they so they came in with HTML and CSS because mm -hmm. they had to have some baseline in, in web design. It's just too much to teach otherwise. Um, I had given them tips on how to learn some JavaScript over the summer. So before the semester started, they were theoretically supposed to have gone through some online courses. Um, so they had, they had some knowledge of JavaScript, and some of them were taking a concurrent class in Intro to JavaScript jQuery. Uh, one of them was in a processing class, you know, P5JS class. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely a challenge to do the data manipulation work in JavaScript. I, I kept having to assign little, like, here's how you would debug some JavaScript, and here's how you would merge data sets, here's how we clean it, mm -hmm. here's how we check for empty values, things like that. And so there was kind of a parallel track of trying to bootstrap everyone's knowledge of JavaScript along with the learning D3 and chart making and right. interactivity. And are you mostly creating things in the class and walking them through it? Or are you saying, here's what we're going to, you know, we're going to do this thing today. I'm going to show you a quick demo and then you're just going to go in and do it and I'll walk around the room. What's, what's the approach in, in the classroom itself? Mm, yeah, that's a good question too. Um, well, I structured it so that I covered things in D3 that I think are important for journalistic visualization. So that means I focused on starting bar charts, line charts, time series, uh, area charts a little bit, but things that are much more journalistic visualization types. So not any of the wackier D3 layouts and chart types. Like we didn't do networks or anything. I showed them at the end links to other layouts, but I stayed with sort of basic statistical charts. Uh, I did make a dot plot example for them, et cetera. You know, each week we would do another type of visualization using real UNICEF data based on an example or two that I had thrown it together over the weekend. And the focus was always on interaction. It was not just here's how you make a bar chart in D3 because you can use other libraries for that right. much, much faster. It was if we have a button here and we want to animate this bar chart, here's how we do that or if we want to bring new data in and join it to the existing data and animate that, here's how we would do that. Here's right. how we do a scatter plot where you're zooming in on the top 20 in the upper right. Mm -hmm. So, so it was very much about like, what are the interactive techniques that will get you somewhere interesting using D3, not things that you could do easily in other simpler libraries. Sure. But yeah, they did use my examples. I mean, I, the whole first three quarters of the class was take my example 
and do your own with your own data, hopefully a focus that they could then use in the final project. So I kept saying, you know, make sure you hone in on a topic in the UNICEF data that's interesting to you, like maybe a country focus or something or a specific illness problem and make your weekly examples using that kind of data so that then it'll be easier to put your project together at the end because it'll be combining things you've already done. That didn't always work so well because they weren't sure for a long time what their project theme was going to be. They, they definitely didn't come up with a data story in the UNICEF data for quite a long time, which was hmm. a big problem, actually. So it's sort of interesting. Some of the things you described sound like your sort of classic uh, UI UX challenges. But on the other hand, um, they're pretty specific. So were there specific texts or articles or, or resources that you had them try to use? As far as I know, it doesn't seem like there's a text that sort of does, you know, sort of specifically to what you were trying to accomplish with these students. No. And um, it's particularly a problem because I was after, like, like I said, focusing on interaction. Right. And a lot of the D3 books and online tutorials are about very simple, just building this kind of bar chart. There are a few tutorials. So Jim Volandingham and Nathan Yao have tutorials that are great, that are a little more focused on news journalistic style interaction. And so I adapted several of theirs. Um, and I, when I say adapted, I mean, you know, in some cases, in Jim's case, some of his code is pretty advanced. Mm-hmm. And these, these are new programmers. So I sometimes simplified some of his code, which wasn't always a good idea. It would turn out later. Uh, sometimes you just have to explain how things work so that they can see the benefit later on eventually when they're ready for it. And Nathan's stuff, you know, I, I had to update it a little bit. Some of his examples are a little older on his website, like mm-hmm. older versions of D3 yeah. or whatever. So I cleaned up and updated and then, you know, had to use real UNICEF data in all of them. So there were tweaks for that as well. And what about the pieces of coding that's necessary, but it may not be the most fun things? You know, it's not the actual creation, but it's like, debugging and setting up a server or, or getting things onto GitHub? Did you sort of walk through that? And what was that experience like for this group of students? <laughs> um, yeah, so the first class was the most horrifically boring ever. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm already afraid. Well, this this next incoming class, they seem to have more computer experience. But for these guys, I, I really, the first half of the class, after I said this is what we're doing and what the UNICEF report currently looks like now we're going to set up github now we're going to set up a server on your machines and literally i'm not leaving this room until you're all running a server locally uh-huh. because that had been a problem that scott murray and i had in the online d3 course that he was teaching uh, and i was taing right. lots of lots of people struggled with just getting their server installed and running mm-hmm. so yeah there were there was definitely a lot of setup initially but um the students coming in this next semester have already been working with github more and and the reason to use GitHub is because, well, not only is it a job skill, but also it's easier for them to get my updated course materials because they just pull the latest version right. every week. And they can post their own stuff publicly, which then become portfolio materials. And my real goal in this class is to give them portfolio materials. Mm-hmm. It's not so much they get an A and get to a grad school. It's they have project work and portfolio work that looks really good to the outside world. That, that's really the goal. Right. Interesting. So now that you're starting the the next semester, are there any sort of like wholesale changes you've made to the class or is it more sort of tweaking around the edges? Uh, So there's a few changes I have to make and I'm still 
doing them during the break. <laughs> <laughs> um, one is I underestimated how hard it is for people who aren't great at JavaScript to learn how to structure their code. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is also a problem with almost all of the online tutorials for D3. They're all very simple. And that includes Mike's, Mike Bostock's blocks. Uh, they're all simple, you know, not a lot of functions, not a lot of structure to them. And if you're doing a big project, you need to organize your code. So it was pretty obvious in preparation for the project, you know, three quarters in, I said, okay, now I want you to just make a page that has three of the charts you're going to use in your project on the same page. And it almost killed them because they had all these variable conflicts and, you know, it, they couldn't mm -hmm. figure out how to find the problem, et cetera, because it was all just one big global, no functions anywhere uh, mess. So that's my fault. I definitely should have shown them e earlier how to structure mm -hmm. things so that it was easier to debug. Uh, so that's one thing. I'm going to make sure they know something about using the command line earlier. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't teach that, and it kept being a problem. Just because you need to do lots of little things at the command line, especially with Git. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I'm going to do. I'm going to do more non-journalistic examples and have a freer choice of data topic because not all of the students coming in want to work in journalism or. And, and it's true, like, they, not every data visualization person becomes an interactive journalist, right? right? They, right. they go and they get jobs like you or like me, consulting places. Right. So learning a little bit about how to make dashboards, what that means, um, tools out there for structuring your code, although I'm not going to teach any of the JavaScript frameworks because we just don't have time in this class. Um, give them a little bigger picture of the job space and the yeah. problems that they might work on with this, these tools. Yeah, I mean, at least being able to, should they go to a place that they're working on static graphics or they're working on whatever, but at least being able to understand what goes into some of these things. I find a lot of people who don't have experience with, you know, working in JavaScript or making online tools, they just say, well, just go make it. Like, how hard can it be? You just press a couple buttons and, <laughs> you know, yeah. we all know that it's a lot harder than that. So respecting that and understanding what it takes to create an online visualization is itself, I think, very valuable. Yeah, and I also think that the process of using tools, you know, it makes you have to figure out a good reproducible workflow. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when I get an update on my data or I add data, I have to figure out how to quickly incorporate that and update the graphic or whatever. There's some good skills just in terms of work process if you're doing yep. this stuff well. Absolutely. Good. Well, uh, good luck this semester. But before, uh, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk with you a little bit about uh, text visualization, because I think it's probably one of the, I don't know, maybe it's one of the more unexplored areas. It certainly doesn't get a lot of play, I don't think, in, in the field. So I'd like to start by asking you to talk a little bit about uh, some of the projects you've worked on maybe in the past. Um, I think one of the first projects that I saw you at least present was at OpenVizConf three years ago on some work you're, you're doing. So, so I'm curious to hear uh, what, uh, what sort of text visualization uh, you've been doing. And then let me just preface all of that by saying I think a lot of folks that I talk to who are working with qualitative data have a lot of challenges sort of analyzing those data and then visualizing those data. So those are sort of the two pieces I think people are interested in, in, in hearing about sort of what uh, you've been working on or have worked on and, and what you might recommend to do a good job with working with, with sort of this loose qualitative or text uh, data. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, those are kind of yeah. So I'll just subjects. give you two huge questions and just go ahead. And... <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the thing I'm most famous for probably is using machine learning to detect sex scenes in Fifty Shades of Grey books. Um, yeah, I published the code for that um, earlier this year, actually, because I did a tutorial, an online like tutorial set of Python notebooks, and the code for that is in there. And that those those are pretty popular notebooks. Um, <laughs> well, well, not, well, I won't say exactly why, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> the classic example for that technique, uh, the naive Bayes uh, method I used is spam detection, which is just mm-hmm. boring. So, uh, you know, I wanted to do something more interesting. Text visualization is a problem for a lot of people because of tools, for one thing. So you can't just jump right into JavaScript yet. There aren't enough good tools in JavaScript for doing text analysis and visualization, which means you have to start in some other tool like uh, Python or R are the most common ones. Well, I mean, there are also lots of people who've been doing Java for years and other things. But I use Python and R. And mm-hmm. the, you'd start with those tools and do some basic analysis. So you can look at parts of speech, like you know nouns in somebody's chapter, and you know, it gives you a sense of what it's about, a simple sense. Uh, to do that, you need libraries that can do noun detection or parsing and part of speech detection. So that means, you know, installing a whole bunch of stuff on your machine that you don't necessarily have installed and figuring out how to use it. Luckily, there are lots and lots of tutorials for that. So that's not that difficult anymore. Other things are just tokenizing, turning things into words. And what is a word is kind of a debated topic. If you have a hyphenated word, do you split it at the hyphen? If you have an apostrophe S, is, it, is apostrophe S a separate word? So it depends on the tokenizer that you use. And you have different choices with the tools for that as well. Um, punctuation, you want it in or out. Capitalization. Capitalization matters for some things, like if you're looking for proper nouns. Mm-hmm. In a lot of, say, English, for sure, capitalization matters a lot. Um, so yeah, you've got a lot of choices about what you want to do when you turn a text into something that can be analyzed and you have to start from those basics. So qualitative data, generally you have kind of the same problem. You should probably give me some examples of what you mean, but I, I think of qualitative data as things like interviews. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You've got interviews with some subjects and you need to figure out how to analyze it. So there are all sorts of coding tools out there. Now there weren't when I was in grad school, it was sort of a manual process, but but now there are all sorts of online coding tools where you can sort of highlight and categorize things. And it's usually a laborious, intensive process where some kind of subject matter expert goes through those interviews and labels and codes things. And then you, know, you get into issues like intercoder reliability. You know, is it just my judgment when I coded this statement as being about whatever? And, you know, do other people code it the same way? There's a lot of noise and fuzziness in that. Um, right. But you need to be able to count something and yeah. standardize on something in order to do any kind of data analysis with it. So that's usually where you're, you know, where you're starting from with qualitative data. What yeah. were you thinking about? No, that, that's exactly right. And it is sort of these, you know, we, we ran a survey, you know, we were doing some evaluate, you know, from, from the sort of folk, the colleagues that I work with here. Um, you know, they run some sort of evaluation. They're talking to some group that's working with, you know, some population in, I don't know, in Denver or wherever. Um, and what's your experience with this program or with this government program or participating in this work uh, support program? You know, what what are your experiences? Um, and it's, it's sort of funny as you were talking, 
from sort of social and public policy research, what is what people are now sort of talking about more and more is big data and getting data from sort of different and newer sources. You know, you know, Twitter is like one of the big ones people talk about, and getting people to understand how to to work with those data, you know, is also requiring new tools. But then you talk about qualitative data, which is sort of like we've been asking people questions for you know for a hundred years. And trying to figure out how to better understand the answers to those. And sometimes you can't just put those answers into buckets. And yet now we have technology that, I don't know, is perhaps making those those tasks of analyzing those data easier and, and more efficient. Um, but far too often I have already seen that the you know, latter part of 2014, researchers trying to use big or new sorts of data and they're having a lot of a lot of these like intercoder reliability issues or not using the right tools or using different libraries and they're not exactly sure of the tools and the libraries that they should be using um and you're seeing i think lots of mistakes being made with new forms of data because it's exciting to have new forms of data but not exactly using the right tools and techniques yeah a lot of what you're describing sounds like it's ripe for machine learning for, say, mm -hmm. categorization, classification. Yep. Yeah, the problem there is you need training data, and so that's where you get into the coding problem. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, there's an entire category of Mechanical Turk task for sentiment right. assignment, so yep. you can get whatever your small text is, if it's a tweet or if it's a review or whatever, you can get Mechanical Turkers to do sentiment ratings for you so that you can build a classifier to give you sentiment ratings on new text of the same type, right? Yeah. Um, a common, common problem. There is noise in all of these things for sure. Mm -hmm. um, as, soon as, as soon as you're talking about anything with machine learning, you've got some error that you're going to have to cope with and garbage in, garbage out too. So you have to make sure that your, your ratings are good, your classification good, is good in the training set. And when it comes to visualizing text, what does that usually entail? Is it trying to take qualitative data or trying to take text and quantifying it in some way? Yeah, it depends what you want to visualize. I mean, there's artistic text visualizations too, and those are things as simple as look at the structure of this. Is it a lot of white space or is it text? You know, very give you sort of an impressionistic opinion of something. Um, there's calligrams, which are the, the poems sort of text artwork where the text is shaped like an animal or a person or a mm -hmm. vehicle. So the, those are like the artistic text mm -hmm. visualization side. Yeah, in the more statistical realm, it's definitely statistical graphs counting things and yeah. trying to figure out patterns in the content. So um, like topic modeling is, well, topic modeling is an exploratory method where it tries to figure out if there are groups of themes in the documents and which documents have those themes. Mm -hmm. And again, all it's got to work with there is numbers of words, right? So all you yeah. get out is like, this is the set of words for this topic in this group of documents. So at some point you have to count words in almost all of these methods. There's essentially a turn a document into words and then visualize that in some way. Hmm. And the, unfortunately, word clouds, which you hate, and <laughs> I'm a little more forgiving of them. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not a, I, yeah, I'm not a big know. fan. Yeah. Um, well, they're, they're not case because they're between the data art and the yeah. And, useful and so right. yeah yeah um interesting and are you uh still continuing to do some work on text viz uh now or are you sort of on hold as you're as you're gearing up to teach this class no i just kicked off well i am kicking off next week a project on um sort of tutorial materials for mm -hmm. people who aren't expert programmers to do 
text visualization of various kinds. It's kind of aimed a little bit at digital humanities people and maybe journalists who are not uh, necessarily strong NLP people. So they'll be able to take the materials. It's, it's going to be an online tutorial website and try out different techniques using some simple scripts if they want or hopefully just web browser mm -hmm. examples. Um, they'll get better results if they use the scripts, the Python and R scripts, and then plug that into the web pages. But depending on their, their level of comfort with running Python or R, mm -hmm. hopefully we'll have some just web-based tools for them. Great. Yeah, I'm doing that with friends at Boku, actually. So the funding I have as a Knight Fellow from the Knight Foundation allows me to work on some projects, and I that's the project I picked because it's the subject I'm right. personally most interested in. Great. Well, I think people will be um, looking forward to that, and I'll... Once it comes out, I'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. Lynn, thanks for coming on the show. This has uh, been really interesting. Um, and good luck this semester. Yep, thank you. I'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to everyone for tuning in. I hope everyone had a great uh, break over the holiday season and are getting a good kickoff to 2016. Again, if you have any comments or suggestions, please leave a note on the website. And please rate the show on iTunes. It gets to show uh, moved up the queue so that others can find out about the show and listen to it. So until next time, this has been the Policy of His podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. For 10 years, Juice has been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News and World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about Juicebox, a new kind of platform for presenting data at juiceanalytics.com. And be sure to check out their book, Data Fluency, now available on Amazon.